entertainment and disability, one podcast at a time. This, this is the Aaron's Journey Podcast. Kyle? Hey there, can you hear me? Yep. Great, I'm so sorry, thank you. Uh, it's no problem. So, um, um, so do you want to get start, started, Kyle? Yeah, absolutely. It's nice to hear your voice and um, thank you for the opportunity to talk. Sure. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> so hello everyone, this is Aaron Konosky with the Aaron Journey Podcast and today I have a very special guest. This guest is the writer of the SpongeBob SquarePants musical and a whole bunch more. Would you go ahead and please introduce yourself? Um, my name is Kyle Jarrow and hi and it's nice to talk to you. So, so it's so it's a, an honor to finally have you on, have you on the podcast, Kyle. It's truly an honor. <laughs> well, it's it's my pleasure, and I'm I'm sorry for uh, I had to reschedule one time, maybe even more than one time. So thank you for bearing with me, and I'm glad to be here. <laughs> no problem, no problem. So, um, so so as we begin, Kyle, um, um, can you tell the audience about yourself and how you started your career? Uh, sure, yeah. Um, I'm a writer. Um, I'm also a musician. Um, and, you know, I just grew up doing... I actually grew up uh, being an actor. I was an actor when I was a kid, not in, like, big TV shows or anything. I lived in a pretty small town, but I would do all the shows at the local theater and, um, and stuff like that. Uh, and then... As I got a little bit older, my voice started to change, but I still looked really young. So it was kind of hard to cast me and stuff. I just sort of, it wasn't really clear what age I was. So I stopped getting parts in the plays, but I just really wanted to continue being part of it. And then that's kind of when I started getting into writing. Uh, um, I so I started writing plays and, and I wrote music too. And um, and I've continued to do that, and I've been, you know, lucky enough to now make a living doing it. It took a while, I have to say, to get to that place of, um, you know, being able to do do those things for a job. But but here I am. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean, you never expected to get this far, didn't didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> to even be able to write a big, you know, to be even be able to write a musical for SpongeBob, that that must have been. That must have been that must have been a shocker that you're able to do that. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. I mean, I, you know, I'll tell you, I was I was nervous about it, um, particularly because I'm a big fan of SpongeBob, and so I was really worried about um, screwing it up. To be honest, you know, I, I just felt like I wanted to do a job, a good job for all the fans like me. Um, you know, and then of course there's always the pressure of writing something that a lot of people are going to see. Um, so, you know, but all you can really do, I think, is just the best you can. So, um, that's what I just kept telling myself. I just kept telling myself, hey, do the best you can, and it'll come together. Um, and, you know, I think, I think it did, at least in that case. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, just to, just to, um, yeah, just to go back a bit, um, uh, would you mind, um, would you mind uh, telling me about, about your work as a musician and the type of music you do? Uh, yeah, sure. Um, I, uh, I've always uh, really loved music, and I've been in a couple of different bands um, over the course of, of my career. Um, currently, I'm in a band um, with my wife. She's the lead singer. Um, I write the songs, and there's six other people in the band with us. We're called Sky Pony. <laughs> um, 
And we do, we do, I, I think I would describe ourselves as kind of art pop. Um, oh. We do sort of, sort of like indie rock, indie pop, but with very theatrical touches. The songs have sort of a theatrical flair and um, there's often, you know, costumes and choreography um, and, and big sort of production, um, production stuff as well. So, uh, yeah. So, I, you know, music, to be honest, it's, the older I've gotten, the more it's become sort of a side project. I, a thing I really love to do, but is it kind of the main focus? Just because it's sort of a trickier um, profession to make a living in. Um, but it's something that I still love to do. And so I, I continue to, um, to to make time for it. I, I really, playing in a band is like on a stage. It's one of the most fun things I've ever done. <laughs> Absolutely, Kyle. Absolutely. So, um, of course, with uh, SpongeBob's uh, Norse uh, growth, since it first aired on TV, it was no surprise that it would one day become a musical. Um, can you tell us about uh, what <laughs> gave you the idea to turn it into a musical and about the writing process? Yeah, just to tell you a little bit about sort of, sort of how it came together and everything. Yeah. Um, sure. So... Um, yeah, I mean, I think Nickelodeon, who produces um, the TV show and, and um, was the lead producer of the musical, uh, I, they were interested in the idea of could it be a stage musical. Um, but what was kind of cool that they did that's different from a lot of companies is they they sort of made a commitment that um, they were only going to move forward with it if they really liked the idea and the approach. So... Um, I was lucky enough to get hired alongside the director, Tina Landau, um, who's awesome. And, um, and we sort of came up with an idea and and pitched it to the people at Nickelodeon. And then they allowed us to do several uh, theater workshops where we sort of worked on building the show, what it could look like, what the script could be like. Um, And it was really only when Nickelodeon was super satisfied that they were excited about what we could come up with. It was only then that they gave us the green light and they really moved forward with it. Um, so, which, which actually I think was kind of a cool process because I think a lot of times for these big commercial properties that become musicals, um, sometimes there's this feeling of like, well, we're going to do it because it'll make money, so we're going to do it no matter what, even if it's not good. Um, and I give a lot of credit to Nickelodeon that they – they really you know, made a decision that they weren't going to go down the road unless they felt like it was really going to be quality. And, you know, I really am proud of the piece. I think it is really quality. And I think, um, you know, one of the reasons it's quality is because they sort of took their time and, and sort of made sure that, that they and everyone was really excited about it um, before moving forward. So then once they um, sort of gave it the thumbs up, um, then we started going to um, different musicians to write the songs. All of the different songs um, are by different uh, pop artists. Um, John Legend wrote a song. Sarah Bareilles wrote a song. Um, T.I. wrote a song. Uh, I mean, just Cindy Lauper, just so many yeah. great people. So we sort of started going to them, um, each of them saying like, hey, would you write a song for this moment in the show? Um, and then... Uh, and then at the same time, I sort of 
finished up the script or finished up a draft of the script. And then we ultimately did uh, our first production of it in Chicago, an out-of-town tryout um, uh, to, to try out the show, see it in front of an audience, see how people felt about it. We learned what we learned there. We put in a lot of changes, and then we were lucky enough to get to go to Broadway. So the, um, the time between uh, starting the process and opening night on Broadway, I'd say was probably about five or six years um, which is, I think, actually relatively standard for a musical, mm-hmm. maybe even a little short for a musical. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so we had, we, had, we had a bunch of years to really get ah, it right. Ah, I see. Yeah, in relation to that, um, kind of something I found interesting is that what you guys did was for one of the songs, you actually did it, you actually, you actually had one in the musical that was based off... Uh, based off one of the artist's uh, actual songs under the same name. How's that come about? Wait, uh, wait which, which, wait, so which song do you uh, mean? There was, there was a song that you guys did, do, that, that you guys did with, that was No Control, that was in collaboration with uh, David Bowie. Oh, that's right. That's right. So, yeah, so all of the songs were original songs except for David Bowie. Um, we went to, you know, when, when we sort of went to these artists to say, would you do a song? You know, first you go to kind of their management team. And when we went to David Bowie's management team, um, we didn't, this wasn't public yet, and, and they didn't tell us, but he was very ill. And he ultimately died, sadly, shortly after. So basically his management team said, look, David's not going to be able to write a new song. But if there's anything kind of in his existing catalog that you feel like could fit into the show, he really loves SpongeBob and and he'd be okay with it. So Tina and I kind of looked through the, you know, back catalog of um, David Bowie songs. We really wanted to find one that wasn't super well known. And we also wanted to find one that kind of felt like it fit a moment in the show. And so No Control was, um, was the one that we decided to use. And we did um, change a bunch of the lyrics to sort of fit the story better. Um, but the main vibe of the song uh, and the main sort of um, lyrical thrust of the song, um, that, that totally stays the same. Yeah. But all the other songs are original. Um, actually, the only other exception is the theme song, the SpongeBob theme song, which is from the TV show, um, and Best Day Ever, which is um, also a song that was written for the TV show, um, and it's like one of my favorite songs from the SpongeBob TV show. So those two songs came from the TV show, No Control came from David Bowie's catalog, um, and everything else was uh, original, written just uh, for the show. Ah, uh, okay. I see. I see. That 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 must have that must have been an interesting to take that approach. Yeah, I mean, we just really, you know, we sort of were like, look, if we can't find a song, a Bowie song that that makes sense, like we won't do it. Um, but that song just really fit, and obviously David Bowie is a genius, so it just you know it just seemed to make a lot yeah, of sense. I mean, and I mean, I can imagine it must have been difficult to be able to to capture the same the same. Uh, the same, the same, uh, same tone and rhythm uh, from the original, and be able to make it work into the musical. 
Yeah, it, it, it was. But, you know, the other thing is we were able to sort of craft the moment. You know, with any of the songs, it, it's sort of a two-part process. You know, you you either choose a song in the David Bowie case or um, or in the case of the original songs, you, you help the artists to sort of craft a song for the moment in the story. But then the second part of the process is that when you get the song, it's always a little bit different and often a little bit better than what you expected. And then, you know, my job would be to sort of rewrite a little bit around it to make the song work. And and Tina's job would be to direct the moment to sort of support the song that we had. So, you know, I think it, it was kind of an organic process, if that makes sense, where you sort of get a song, it's hopefully closed, you kind of get the artist to make some edits to make it feel even more right for the moment. And meanwhile, Tina and I would change things to make it fit better. So between, between those two approaches, generally, um, you, you get, you get songs to work, but sometimes it, it takes a while to make ah, a song. Yeah. Feel like yeah. Good point. Good point. And yeah. And yeah, I'm from the musical besides, besides the main ones you, besides the main ones that were used in the show. Um, some of the ones I loved were including, uh, you guys um, had one to where there was one that was one that was done for Squidward uh, called "Not a Loser." Which, how did that come about? <laughs> oh, so that I love that song. That might be my favorite one. Um, that one is by They Might Be Giants. Um, is the band that wrote that song, and they're really well known for writing really clever, um, you know, really clever, funny, sardonic lyrics. So that just felt like a fit for Swedward, you know? Um, so, so yeah, we asked them to write a song for that moment and it was just awesome. You know, they just, they just like delivered that song. It honestly, their first draft of that song was pretty darn close to what's in the show. It was just a perfect, it, I don't know. It just felt like a, a perfect um, song that really perfectly um, fit like, the moment. So, you know, and, and, and in a, um, in a yeah, way, it's I, character, I just right? Yeah, exactly. It's like they just totally understood his character, totally understood what his voice would be like. And, yeah, I don't know. Every once in a while, whenever you work on a musical, every once in a while you get a song where you're like, yep, this song is just 100% right. This is exactly what it wants to be. Um, and, uh, yeah, that, yeah, that was one of those times for <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah, um, I mean, on top of that, um, I noticed that now I know that especially for, you know, especially for a lot of musicals that usually what tends to happen is there usually tends to be rehashes of various songs to, uh, cl- uh to collaborate with the story, especially with changes. Um, um, especially, um, what, what is, what especially made you guys, especially made you guys decide to make. Uh, make the the uh, make the redos and then, um, you know, and then like, you know, and then you know, and then, you know, you know, keep going and whatnot. Um, I sorry, can you ask that again? I, I think I I totally didn't one hundred percent get what what oh, the question sorry. was. Um, sorry. Basically, what I'm saying is now throughout musicals, what tends to happen is there usually tends to re respires for various songs and for like, you know, because of story elements and whatnot, which what made you guys decide to rehash some of the songs that were, that were in the musical itself? Oh, 
Oh, I see. You you mean like reprises, like where you hear the song a, a second yes. time during the show? Got it, got it. So I, that's totally just the terminology that I, in, in my brain, I always call those reprises. Um, so that's my bad to not understand. Um, so that's a good question. Like, how do you choose which songs will will repeat? Um, I mean, I think usually it's a good idea to have some songs repeat just because it gives a, a sense of cohesion um, mm-hmm. to the score. Uh, um, so, so that's part of it. Um, and then I think choosing which songs to do that with, you know, I think usually the story kind of tells you. Um, like, I don't know, like, for example, um, you know, well, you know, kind of to end the show with a reprise of the opening song, a lot of shows do that because I think there's, I don't know, it gives you a sort of a sense of closure that you've sort of come full circle. So that's part of why we did that there. Um, I'm trying to think what other songs reprise. There's actually not a ton of reprises in the SpongeBob musical. Um, there's definitely musicals yeah, that have which more. My under- yeah, um, which my understanding, you, so you guys also did the first track. Um, from my understanding, you Sorry, guys also did the first track, uh, uh, Bikini, Bikini, uh, Bikini Bomb Day. Yeah, Bikini Bottom Day, yeah, it actually reprises twice, once at the beginning of Act 2 and once kind of towards the end of Act 2. Um, and, uh, yeah, I'm trying to think what else. Uh, gosh, I don't know if actually any of the other songs reprise fully. I mean, there's a couple of moments from songs that sort of pop up. Like, there's this song called Tomorrow Is, which ends the first act. And there's a sort of a little bit of a reprise of, of the melody of it at the beginning of mm-hmm. Best Day Ever. Um, and there's a couple other sort of moments like that where things sort of weave back around. Um, but there's not a ton of that, really. It's mostly just that opening song that we uh, reprise, I uh, guess. Ah, I see. I see. So, I mean, so especially in collaboration with that, um, uh, what musicals would you say inspired you in the making of the musical? Yeah. What other musicals? Um, you know, we I, I really like a lot of the sort of classic golden age musicals. Um, so, uh, you know, they, uh, there's a couple actually that are even referenced within the show. Fiddler on the Roof. Um, there's a there's a joke about Gypsy in the show, um, so I really thought a lot about those kinds of golden age musical structures. Especially a lot of them had sort of intercutting stories with a lot of different characters. Because one of the things that we did with this is that we've got a number of different characters mm-hmm. whose stories intertwine, uh, and so. You know, a lot of those old musicals do the same thing. They have all these different storylines that sort of weave in and out over the course of um, over the course of the show. So I kind of looked to a lot of those uh, to a lot of those old school musicals for some structural ideas. Um, so to be honest, like it was honestly those older musicals that really inspired me for it. Even though I think, you know, the music certainly sounds modern and pop based. 
Um, the structure definitely, I was going for like classic yeah, and, Broadway and something I, found, I mean, there was something I especially found an interesting approach uh, for some of the music um, score. Um, I noticed that for some music score, you, you guys decided to have Plankton do rap. Um, that must have been interesting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, we 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 just thought like when we were talking about his song, I think it might have been Tina's idea when we were talking about his song, and she was just like, "Wouldn't it be ridiculous if Plankton were to rap?" You know, we felt like we wanted to. There's obviously a lot of different styles of music in the show. There's a country song that Lady Antebellum wrote. Um, there's you know David Bowie's sort of like synth poppy song. There's um, Jonathan Colton wrote the opening song, which is sort of more of an indie rock feel. You know, we have all these different vibes, and we knew that we wanted hip-hop to be in the score. And so it was a little bit like, okay, well, what, which of these characters, like, would do a hip-hop track? And we started thinking about it, and we were like, you know what, Plankton, like, that's a pretty funny idea, <laughs> what Plankton would be like if he rapped. So that was kind of the idea. <laughs> Honestly, a lot of the things in the show were driven by what we thought would be just <laughs> yeah, weird so, and so, funny. <laughs> so, so, like, the various musicals that you mentioned, um, uh, I mean, like, would, would you say there were some of your favorite, uh, some of your favorites growing up? You know what? It's funny. I, yeah, kind of, actually. My parents had um, a bunch of records, like old LPs, of a lot of those sort of classic musicals. So I remember listening to those records as a kid. Um, and But, you know, also when I was growing up, I got really into, like, Les Mis and Phantom of the Opera and stuff like that. I really liked listening to those as a kid. And honestly, those are really fun, but I don't think they really have a ton to do with the SpongeBob musical. Feels like kind of a different, that kind of feels like a different world. I will say um, another show mm-hmm. I thought a lot about was Book of Mormon, which obviously is much more edgy humor than, um, than SpongeBob. But one of the things I love about it is that it's very funny, but it's also about something, you know, really has some, some kind of deeper points to make. Um, and I really appreciate and like that about it. Um, and I, you know, I, I really wanted to find a way to do that um, in the SpongeBob musical. And I think we did. You know, I think we we put some ideas in there about the ways that communities turn against each other and yeah. the way that that's not great. And um, and so, uh, yeah, so so that was a real inspiration too, Book of Mormon, um, doing something that can both be funny uh. Really oh, I see. So, well. so that's so that's so that's that's so that's mainly part of the reason why you guys went for the uh, dark tone of the story, or is there more involved that made you decide to do so? Um, no, that's that's definitely part of it, um, and I think the other part of it is uh, that we were. I mean, honestly, I just really wanted to figure out. Oh, sorry. I just really wanted to find a, um, a way to tell a story that was going to have really high stakes. Because the thing about, you know, um, a SpongeBob episode is they're like 11 minutes long. So they don't really need to have super high stakes. It can sort of be one funny idea, whatever. Um, but uh, when it, you know, comes to a musical, it's like two, two and a half hours. Like you really need major stakes, major struggles 
for your characters to go through. And so we were really thinking like, okay, well, what has really high stakes? And then we had this idea, oh, well, certainly thinking it's the end of the world, that's like the highest stakes possible. And then I was thinking about it and I was like, you know, that's a pretty funny idea to imagine mm -hmm. how Bikini Bottom would react to that. So I don't know, maybe it's just attracted to dark humor. But, you know, the idea originally came from trying to come up with a story that would have really high stakes and could really motivate enough story for a full evening. Um, and then realizing, like, oh, that's really funny. So, like, maybe it checks kind of both boxes. It has... Uh, it's got you know uh, story potential. Yeah, um, yeah and, and, um, and, and mainly, was, I, I was also, I mean, mainly also, I was want to also want to ask about a couple, couple of the other tracks. Um, I know there was a couple other two that that really that really caught my eye. Um, um, mainly, mainly the one of your guys, uh, mainly uh, the one that was called BFF, and then um, and then not a simple sponge. How did those come about? Uh, the other one. Uh, was, sorry, was Super Bungie. What was the other one? Oh, BFF. Um, BFF is by uh, Plain White Tees, uh, and they write, I think, really, um, you know, I don't know, really, really heartfelt, catchy, sweet, but also really sort of authentic feeling songs. And you know, uh, it, it just sort of felt like. For um, you know, for this moment, that's these two characters talking about how much they care about each other. That's kind of what you need. You know, you need a song that's sweet and heartfelt, but you, it doesn't want to be kind of treacly or cheesy. And Plain White Tees, um, they're really they're really great at that um, at, at sort of capturing that feeling. So that's why we went to them for that song, and I think they totally wrote something that is sweet and heartfelt, but also feels not not treacly or cheesy um simple sponge was written by panic at the disco um and they are great at just writing really hooky and themic um energized music and we knew that this song needed to kind of be spongebob's big moment in act one where he's like feeling you know galvanized to go out and save the day it just really needed to be this big kind of awesome song um and so you know that's just something that they are also great at so um yeah so we went to them for that song so you know both are good examples of how we try to be very strategic uh about you know, selecting which artists we'd go to for which songs and kind of pairing them up with moments that just felt like they really, um, yeah, you know, and, really made sense. Mm, um, and that those yeah, sound... Yeah, and I've noticed, too, yeah. that, um, especially with the musical, I noticed you guys made a couple nods to, um, once the once the SpongeBob movie, the uh, first, you know, the original SpongeBob movie, and then, of course... Um, and then, of course, the one episode, Sarah Mouth, uh, what made you guys decide to, decide to make a bit of nods to both of those? <laughs> well, yeah, yeah I mean, I, I really felt like I needed to, um, uh, you know, I just felt like I really needed to give fans like myself um, some... Uh, you know, some little, what I would call Easter eggs, like little moments where um, 
it, it feels like a, a callback or a reference to something um, that just feels like important in something like this. And I have to say, in most of the performances, those moments do get a lot of laughter and applause. It just feels like yeah. something you owe yeah. to fans, you know? And as a fan myself, it's like there's certain moments and, and just certain references that I really like feeling like there's a couple things that are just in there for me as a fan. I guess that's the best way to say it. So I wanted to put some things in like that, that, you know, for, for those diehard fans like yourself, they would recognize them and, 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 you know, uh, and, and, and that would be kind of a little thrill. The challenge was they also had to be references that would work for someone who didn't know the show at all. Um, so that, that was the trickier part is sort of choosing, okay, like which are the jokes that could work for anyone? Um, so yeah, like that sailor mouth joke, I think is anyone would find that funny. So that was like a good example of one that like, it's an Easter egg for the fans, but it's also funny. Um, so yeah, that was the challenge is finding yeah. those moments. That I mean, you know, I mean on top people. of that too, with the other one, um, from my understanding, um, you guys kind of, kind of did, kind of did a, all, uh, did an alteration of, from like the, from like dog from the movie, uh, where we're basically saying that. Uh, to where Mr. Krabs says to Spawn where he's just a kid and then you guys made an alteration what I mean what made you guys what made you guys think we need to we made to we need to make a slight alteration here oh you mean from from him saying that he's just a kid yes. to saying he's just a simple sponge you know uh, the answer to that is probably <laughs> it's on it, it it's probably less exciting than you would think it's actually because when Panic at the Disco write, wrote that song, Simple Sponge, they put that phrase into the song. And we really liked that phrase, um, and it seemed really cool. But, you know, one of the things that was my job as, as a writer was to, to make sure that the songs were really set up. Um, and so I was like, okay, well, we have to sort of make it clear what the phrase Simple Sponge means before the song comes. So then it was like, oh, okay, well, you know, that seems like something that Mr. Krabs would potentially say to SpongeBob. So it, it became a way of using that idea to sort of set up that great phrase and set up the song. Ah, ah, I see, I see. So I mean, so we kind of like reverse engineered it. If ah, that makes sense. I see. So I mean. Yeah, so on top of that, um out of all the cast mem- um out of all the cast members um for the musical, um who were some of your favorites to work with? Oh man, I mean, it's so tough to ask. It's like choosing between favorites. I mean, so many of them are so cool. Um I mean, I got to say both um Ethan Slater who played SpongeBob and Danny Skinner who played um Patrick um, we're both really with the piece since the very beginning, helping us develop it. And both were just so incredibly um, just great in their roles, have become actually best friends in real life through the process, um, and also are just both incredibly cool, lovely people. So I'd say like just the fact that they were on the, on the road uh, of the development from the very beginning, you know, they're just they're really up there. Uh, but, you know, there's so many of the cast members who have become um, good friends, uh, repeat collaborators that I've worked with on other things uh, as well. It just honestly, we got really lucky with a really great cast 
of people who are both really talented and really cool. And you know what? You don't always get that. So um, I feel very yeah, lucky about yeah, that. Yeah. So especially, um, so especially, I especially want to ask. Um, I mean, so when it came to after after it originally, after originally first left Broadway, you eventually came. You eventually, with the help of Nickelodeon, you eventually came to the came to the idea of actually adapting it for TV. How did that come about? Um, you know, the, uh, Nickelodeon, <coughs> excuse me, um, Nickelodeon wanted, uh, you know, obviously has a TV network and decided that they wanted to, um, do basically a live taping. They didn't air it live, but they did tape it, um, in front of a live audience. Um, and, you know, we really, um, we, we were really excited, you know, it just meant that more people could watch it. Um, I don't know, just very exciting to us. Uh, and we did have to trim the length of it a little bit because of um, the needs that it needed to fit in a time slot. Um, so, yeah, so th there was a little bit of trimming, um, and we also had to, to do what's called act breaks, um, which in TV means when you go to commercial. Um, so we sort of had to build up the... Um, sort of build up the tension or build up the moment so that we could sort of have these good breaks to commercial. So we had to make a couple of changes to do that too. Um, but other than that, it was pretty much the same show. It was almost the entire original cast with a couple of folks who couldn't do it. Um, but everybody else was from the original cast. And it was pretty close to the show that was on Broadway. Wow. So really exciting. You know, obviously Broadway tickets are expensive. Um, and not only that, they're, you know... It, it, Broadway is far away for a lot yeah. of people. So it was, it was really um, awesome to get to tape it on TV so that it was something that, you know, anyone can watch wherever they are. Oh, the yeah, yeah. Good point. Good point. I mean, <clears throat> I mean, I mean, especially when it comes to that, like, um, like, I mean, I mean, like, especially for when you adapt, for when you guys adapted it for TV, like, were there some elements lost that you could tell me about that you kind of wish you'll, you would have been able to keep? Um, mo moments that we cut that, that I wish we hadn't had to cut. Yeah, there were a couple of them. But, you know, it just, it, it, it really we had to ask ourselves. I mean, actually, particularly there were a couple of moments um, that, that we lost between Plankton and Karen. Um, those were probably the most painful ones to lose. But the thing is, it, it just became clear, like, that's sort of a side story. And it's funny, and it's fun, and I love that side story. But it really, the main thrust of the story is more about SpongeBob, Sandy, and Patrick and their journey. So when we were cutting, it was like, you know, it sort of makes sense to take that time um, from from one of the non-essential stories. And so that that was why we sort of chose to cut some of that plankton care material. But it was sad because I, I love a lot of that stuff. And I particularly love what um, Wesley Taylor, who plays plankton, I particularly love um, a lot of what he does uh, with that role. And, and so, yeah, it, those were the things that was most, most painful to lose. But, you know, we had to do it. Yeah, understandable. <clears throat> I mean, I mean, especially when it comes to it, like, um, like, do you, especially when it comes to the musical, um, do you, do you know, do you know if it's going to be, if it's going to be getting, um, early, released physically anytime soon? 
It was going to be released where? Uh, released physically on like DVD and Blu-ray. Yeah. Oh, on you know, I don't know. Like honestly, I think it, um, nowadays I don't know that like DVD sales are necessarily um, like such a big business. You know, I think there's. I mean, I know that this, the the um, that that the show can be downloaded. You can buy it on iTunes, on Amazon, all those things. So to be honest with you, I actually don't know the answer, but I would kind of doubt that they'd be releasing DVDs just because I think the market isn't actually huge for that and that most people who are watching stuff are, are downloading it. Yeah. Um, I guess, but I don't totally know the answer. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I mean, especially on top of that, like, have you guys thought about... Um I mean, have you guys uh, like have like have you thought about releasing the bonus content that was lost or, or anything like that? Well, you know, a lot of that stuff wasn't actually shot. Even we we made the cuts before we even filmed it, uh, so it actually okay. Yeah, so it was in it was it's in the stage show, and and the show is now by the way on tour, going all around the United States. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so a lot of those moments are in the stage show, but we actually never did tape them, um, for TV. So, uh, so yeah, we don't even have them to release if we wanted to. Ah, ah, I see. I see. I see that, 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 that must've been tough. Yeah. I mean, again, it, it, well, you know, when you shoot something, you know, you just, you get, um, you know, you, you, it, it, money is time, right? Like, mm-hmm. so, you know, if you know that you're not going to be able to use something, why waste time shooting it? Um, so that's, that was kind of the logic behind it is like, okay, if we know we're not going to use this stuff, if we know we're going to cut it, let's just not even bother shooting it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I almost forgot. Yeah. I almost, almost forgot to mention. Um, now, now, especially besides like the music music score and you know whatnot. Now, now what I gotta say is, especially when it came to the choreography and like and like the uh, and of course like how they intertwine sound effects with the musical itself was was a really nice touch. Oh, thank you. Yeah, um, that that so there Foley um, is. Uh, um, there's a guy named Mike Dobson who did originally on Broadway and there's a different guy who does it on tour. So basically there's this um, Foley setup, which is Foley basically means all the sort of sound effects and they're all created live actually, um, which is kind of amazing, but allows for matching so that every step that SpongeBob takes can make a sound. Um, stuff like that, which would just be almost impossible to do if you didn't have a live Foley artist. So I'm really glad that you liked that part of the show. Um, I think that's one of the things that makes it feel really special and makes it kind of feel like a cartoon come alive on stage yeah, too. Yeah, because I mean, because because I bet because I mean because I mean I you know because I bet that I bet that must have been but that must have been a pleasure to be able to be able to be able to in a way bring the cartoon form of it to life. 
Yeah, I mean, that was really one of the things we wanted to do, both in, in the humor and, and in the pacing and, and the visuals and everything. And of course, you know, bringing it to life, we realize very quickly means it, you have to change it too. I mean, theater's a different kind of a medium than television. So you can't just, for example, have somebody walking around in a big foam suit looking exactly like he looks on the TV show that, that just, it's not going to feel the same. So it became sort of a process of translating, um, you know, translating the idea, like what does it mean to do a cartoon live on stage? It obviously feels different than a cartoon on TV. Um, and so just sort of getting our heads around like what that, what that feels like. And yeah, so that was a fun part of the process. Yeah. So then, so that, so that must've, so I'm guessing that intertwined when it came to, when it come to when it come when it came to uh, when it came to choosing for costumes, uh, to whether were human incarnations. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that was a big. You know, David Zinn, who did the costumes and also the sets. Um, that was a big consideration. You know, it was like, well, what does this really need to look like? Um, and. And like, you know, it needs to gesture towards the characters, but it can't be exactly the characters. And so he really, you know, did a lot of thinking about that. I know, um, and uh, and and I think came up with some really creative solutions. And I think the the look of the show is both very unique to the show, but also is very clearly part of the world of SpongeBob. And I think that's a real awesome yeah, achievement. Yeah, I mean, especially when it comes to that. I mean. I mean, out of all the characters, what would you say would be what would you say were some of the hardest ones to replicate? Um, you know what? That's a really good question. I can't totally speak to it because I wasn't like super intimately involved with the the um, costume design process. Um, but I do, yeah, I, I do know that probably SpongeBob was the toughest, just because like he's the main one and. And he's the one that everybody, you know, is such an iconic image. And obviously, a human being is never going to look exactly like that. So I would say that Price SpongeBob is the one who changed the most. Even between Chicago and New York, his look really changed. Um, that was probably the toughest one. Like I said, I wasn't super involved in that part of the process. But, um, but I know from, like, the discussions that, yeah, SpongeBob was really, was really probably yeah, the trickiest. Yeah, so, so, then, so, then, so then Squared must have been, like, the second trickiest you know what? Honestly, I, I, he actually wasn't as hard. I think once the idea of the multiple legs um, came about, and that was a pretty early idea in the development. I think once that idea sort of came um, came into the mix, uh, like he sort of came together. I mean, yeah, little elements of his costume, really all the costumes, little elements of them kept changing throughout the process. But uh, but but Squidward's actually once those legs were figured out. Uh, he didn't change a ton. Ah, ah, I see, I see, and I especially noticed that. Um, now, and I especially noticed for when you guys uh, worked on Pearl that you uh, mostly did to where, um, uh, to where you basically just did the humor incarnation of her, to where it, to where it was not, to where like she had she had this uh, this sort of instance of a whale, but but was not. What made you guys decide to do that? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we wanted to sort of gesture towards what animals they were, but not, you know, I mean, again, it's, it, they're human beings, and you're sort of never going to be able to hide that. So we tried instead to, um, you know, uh, 
we, we try to basically enhance the human figure, gesture towards the silhouette of the animal, have some fun with that, but not pretend or try to pretend that the, the actors yeah, aren't humans. Because, yeah. of course, they yeah, are, you absolutely, know? Absolutely. So, like, so, like, I mean, like, I mean, so especially, like, um, so, like, I almost forgot to ask, um, like, what singer or band inspired you to, to do the type of music that you do? Oh, um, you know, uh, let's see. That's a great question. Um, uh, so, you know, I don't know. I, I like, I, you know, I, I, like I said, I grew up with some of those classic musicals, but I also grew up with a lot of like 80s and early 90s music. And I just love that. Even though I was kind of too young when a lot of it came out, I found it later, but I really love it. So there's definitely a little bit of an 80s kind of new wave inflection in some of the songs um, that I really enjoy. Uh, and I also um, I also just really like theatricality. And so try to really fit that into a lot of the songs as well. Um, and I just wanted to like get a bunch of our friends involved. So it's just a big band. So I'd say those are kind of the elements that inform the sound the most. There's a little bit of 80s in there. There's a real theatricality. Also, my wife is a great singer with a very dramatic a voice, very, very able to act through her voice. And so that kind of lends itself to those more theatrical songs. And then just like a big, big sort of lush sound because there's a lot of us in the band. So I don't know. I'd say, but with anything, you know, in the band included, it's like you kind of, as you work on it, it kind of develops, it kind of finds its voice. And that's definitely ah, what happened with Sky Pony ah, too. Okay. Okay. I see. So, I mean, yeah. So, I mean, I mean, so especially, um, just have, have a couple more questions for you. So, um, sure. So, um, okay. So, or like, or like few, sorry. Um, anyway, do you have any, um, sorry. Um, do you have any advice for, uh, aspiring, uh, any aspiring musicians and musical writers? Do, yeah, uh, advice for advice, aspiring musicians and music, uh, musical writers. Yeah, I, I guess I do. And, and, you know, to be honest, I, I would say that it's kind of um, the same advice that I give to kind of anyone in the arts, in any part of the arts, which is um, I think it, it can be really tricky because there's a lot of people who want to do it. There's a lot of competition. And to be honest, there's not really a lot of money um, in it, certainly at when you're starting out. And I think that can be really tough and can, can you know, push a lot of people away from doing it. But the advice that I would have is if it's something that you want to do and you really feel like you have something to say, that's really important, you know? And, and like you and your podcast, you know? It's like you feel like you have something to say and you just put it out there in the world. And that would be my advice to people is just make the stuff that you want to make. And if it means something to you and it's important to you, make as much as you can and put it out there into the world as much as you can. And look, there is definitely some luck involved, but a lot of times if you're saying something that you really believe in, people will find it and connect to it. Um, so that would be my advice is to do that. And my, my kind of negative advice would be don't, try to make what you mm -hmm. think people want, you know, like 
don't try to make work that you think people want because you're like, well, maybe that'll get me ahead or whatever. Because a lot of times I think you can just tell when somebody is making something just because they think it's what they should do. The authenticity in the heart of in something that you really care about, um, that's, uh, that's really special, you know? And, and I think that comes across. So that's what I'd say is don't try to make what people think you, don't try to make what you think you should make, make what you want to make, put it out there and have confidence that there um, will be people who will find it and will come to so, you. So, uh, so, uh, Kyle, just a couple more questions. Uh, sure. Yeah. Oh, I gotta go in. I got anyway, four o'clock. I hope um, that's okay. Uh, do you have any final words of wisdom? Um, gosh, final words of wisdom. I, uh, wow, I don't just, know. I mean, just, I mean, just when it comes to, <laughs> when it comes to be, when it comes to life of musician, uh, like when it comes to the life of musician, writer, or, or just life in general. Yeah, I mean, well, I, I guess I would say, you know, I, I, I would say, man, I'm, I'm, I'm on the spot, um. I think what I would say is that it, it, making art, making entertainment is a very up and down um, career. You know, you have good years, you have bad years, you have projects that do well, you have projects that don't do well. And, and to be honest, that's true for almost anyone, no matter how successful they are. I mean, even like the most, um, you know, even like the most... Uh, successful rock bands, for example, have records that do really well and records that don't, right? Um, and so I think finding a way to ride those ups and downs and not lose faith and not despair is is hard. And it's something that I've definitely struggled with and, and a lot of people I know have. But I think figuring out how to do that is important. And I and if it's not too cheesy to say, I'd say that's a good life lesson too, because life itself has ups and downs and it is, can be sometimes really easy to despair during the down times. Um, you know, and I think learning to sort of ride those ups and downs and be okay with like, this is a downtime and it won't last forever. And then to really enjoy the up times, even though you know they won't last forever to sort of be in the moment um, and also just sort of be able to not, but be in the moment, but also be able to see outside the moment at the same time. I don't know. It feels like that's a really important thing to learn to do if you want to have a life in the arts. And maybe just if you want to have a life, you know, <laughs> I, mean, um, I don't I mean, know. I, I, mean, I, I, I mean, I would say you hit, you hit the nail, hit the nail <laughs> right on the dot. <laughs> um, anyway. Oh, good. <laughs> um, really, I'm flattered that you asked me um, to to talk to you, and and thank you very much. And uh, I, I will say I checked out <laughs> a couple you. of the other episodes um, of your anyway, podcast. So, and it's, um, it's really awesome. How can people get in touch with you, Kyle? Um, I have a website uh, that is kylejaro.com. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's kind of how you can find out what I'm up to, what's, what I've got coming up. Um, and, uh, and if people want to email me, they can find <laughs> yeah. my email address <laughs> yeah, through the website much. too. I, I think that's probably how you can find it.
<laughs> oh yeah, our Twitter. I'm yeah, on Twitter so, too. Uh, yeah, so um, Kyle, so that, Gerald, no, I'd like to thank you. Some. Totally. Uh, uh, sorry, sorry. Did I get your last name correct? Um. So, so yeah, Kyle, I'd like to thank you for your time. It was a pleasure correct. having you on today. Um, it was yeah. a pleasure talking thank to you, and thank you so much, and um, have a great rest of your Thanks. day. If you would like to continue to be a part of Aaron's journey, consider donating to the podcast monthly. Head on over to my Anchor page for more information on how to get exclusive bonus content and more.